looks like it's time to get started. Good morning. All right. Well, today is our last day for the season. Yep, and uh, then uh, the ladies' class breaks for the summertime until what, August, September, somewhere in there. Maybe after Labor Day. And uh, so, so we're going to take a little break and uh, enjoy the weather and travel and right. <laughs> um, so today, let's finish up with uh, the Beatitudes. And so we're, we're back in Matthew chapter 5. And we are looking at the 7th, 8th, and ninth Beatitudes. And those would be, um, so verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you, revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so the Beatitudes, as we've talked about, begin the Sermon on the Mount, and so there's so much more. Uh, but the Beatitudes themselves uh, are so well known because of all of the, the meaning b behind these, these different Beatitudes. And so when we look at the seventh Beatitude here in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. All right. So being a peacemaker... Uh, probably has a, a different definition depending on, you know, where a person stands in terms of philosophy of life, right? Like, when we think of, when our culture thinks of peace, we think about the, the 60s, right? And the, the hippie movement and, you know, peace, you know? I don't know, do people still do that anymore? I mean, I don't really see that so much. You do that? Okay. It's, you know, there is some of that, but... Um, I definitely. Some are too young to remember those days, and um, but what is peace? Um, you know, peace means different things to different people, right? And popularly, you know, there are studies done. Uh, there have been studies done uh, with millennials and Gen Z. Uh, on religion, on Christianity, and uh, some of the studies that I have seen uh, demonstrate that the younger generations may tend to um, have a negative view of the church and, and what they consider organized religion, organized structure, but they, they're favorable towards Jesus. You know, the studies show like they're down on the church, but Jesus is a great figure. And, you know, we look at that and we go, that's very commendable, that's, that's great to see. But then there needs to be a little more investigating, like, what do they see in Jesus that they like, but that they don't like about the church? And, 
you know, I, I don't know the, the answer to that from a, you know, a study perspective, but I have a hunch that they see Jesus as, you know, one who makes, he goes into the world and he makes for peace. But what kind of peace is that? Is it an earthly peace? Um, when we think about this, this verse in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. What is a peacemaker as Jesus would, under, as Jesus would, would mean it? What is a peacemaker? Any ideas? Well, let's take a look. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. This is the uh, promise of the Messiah in chapter 9. And <clears throat> all of chapter 9 is, is really worth looking at. But let's just look at verses 5 and 6 right now. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning in fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well-known verses, right? Um, Prince of Peace. And then, of course, you know, at Christmas time, right, we talk about um, Jesus is peace on earth. We talk about, right, the, the peace on earth. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And we'll start here, let's see, start at verse 13, we'll start at verse 12. Matthew 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, <clears throat> the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. Okay. Now, when, when it is proclaimed at the birth of Christ, um, peace on earth goodwill to men what what does that mean peace on earth does it mean that now there's not going to be war on earth anymore does it mean it's all supposed to be you know there's supposed to be this this hippie peace and tranquility i mean we would love that right but but what does jesus mean because when we look at this, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. But then you look at the next two beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. What is, what is peace on earth? 
Say that one more time. Victory over evil. Victory over evil. Yeah. Yeah, it's in, yeah. Restoration of the break that took place in the Garden of Eden. Restoration of what took place in the Garden of Eden. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's because, you know, yeah. The personification of peace in Jesus Christ. That's right. He is our peace, right? When people look at him, he is the peace. And even as he hangs on the cross, he makes for peace. And what's that? Who's the peace between God and man? Peace between God and man. The reconciliation, right? The restoration. Heaven is opened. You know, you see it at the baptism of Jesus when heaven is opened. And the Father speaks, and the Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus. There's the peace, Jesus. Yes. I think of, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, I will be done on earth as it is on heaven. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be wonderful? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's, that would be, that's what we hope for. Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the prayer, right? To, that, that things are, will get straightened out. And so Jesus, he is the peace. He is the peacemaker. Um, what's that? That's in, this is in the plural. In the plural? Blessed are the peacemakers. Good point. Yeah, blessed are the peacemakers. But doesn't Jesus say somewhere, I came not to bring peace? But a sword, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> it, but it's true, though. That's true. You know, the church. The church brings the message, right, of the Lord. And you know, the feast of the Ascension was yesterday, and. I always think about what it must have been like. I mean, it's a glorious thing that Jesus ascends back into heaven. It's, it's sort of the culmination of at Christ's baptism where heaven is, is torn open. He returns in the flesh, right? So he goes with the flesh of humanity into heaven sits on his throne, all is now put in order. But from an earthly perspective, I can't help but think about what those disciples must have felt as they watched Jesus go. Because it's just like any time you have uh, a death uh, close to you or somebody's leaving on a journey, right? Or kids go off to college, or they take a new job and they move away. And often there's some tears shed because they're leaving. And, you know, you can't help but think, I can't help but think, those disciples had spent so much time with Jesus, and they watched him do amazing things. They watched him bring peace and restoration, as he would go and heal people 
and He would raise Lazarus. Uh, He would forgive sins. He would draw outcasts toward Him, right? Eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. There's just this sense of Jesus is putting things in order. This is what I want more of. And then at the Feast of the Ascension, there He goes. And now all things are complete. That's good. But now here we are still on this earth and we, we contend in the midst of a world of strife and battles and wars and all these other things. And it's important, I think, that Carol makes the point that it is in the plural, blessed are the peacemakers. And the peacemakers are the church too, right? It's, it's Jesus, Jesus is the peacemaker, but then through Him, through His cross, through the Gospel, the church also becomes the beacon of light in this world. And then, let's see, so St. Paul does use it in verb form in Colossians 1.20. So let's take a look there. So we'll start at verse 19, Colossians 1, 19. All right. Okay. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So, verse 20 uses the same word as peacemaker. The peacemakers in the Beatitude now uses peacemaker for Jesus. It's the same word in Greek. And he is a peacemaker through the blood of his cross. And what's beautiful here in verse 19 is it says in him uh, it was pleased that all the fullness would dwell in him. And the word to dwell implies the incarnation. So... This word is uh, katokesai. Now, what's what's neat about this word is it's it does imply the incarnation, that all the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell in Him, and this word. So this this actually, oh, I forgot one here. That actually is the word for house. And then this prefix has a downward motion to it. So the, the dwelling is something from above that comes down that takes root. And so house is the, to dwell with us. And part of the beauty of this, and I talk about this uh, all the time, or I think about it all the time, in Philippians 2 verse 1, 
when it talks about, he's talking about, Paul's talking about Christian humility and how to live. And he says, if there's any compassion or mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking about these things. So he says, if there's any compassion and mercy, that word for mercy uh, is oiktirmoi, and that also is the, comes from the word for house. So oik, so this is mercy, and it's, it's used for the Heavenly Father in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6, I think it is. Luke 6.36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So the kind of mercy that the Heavenly Father gives is one that comes to dwell with us, takes its root with us. So in the Greek, there's all this language, this incarnational language that implies the Godhead coming down, taking on flesh, dwelling among us, being with us. And so then this peace dwells with us through Christ, through, through his cross, as Colossians 1 says, and, um, and it abides with us still today. And so, you know, I think about the ascension of our Lord and how, yes, he ascends back to heaven, but then what does he do? But, in fact, let's go to that. Let's go to the end of Luke's gospel and take a look because I think this connects nicely. So the very end in Luke chapter 24, at the very end, so we'll look at verse 44 and run through to the end here. So in Luke 24, 44, it reads in this way, Then Jesus said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God, amen. Now, so here's the interesting thing. I think about how they must have had some longing and maybe a little bit of sadness in the pit of their stomach when they watched him ascend to heaven. But look at how it ends. They're filled with joy. 
they have the understanding. Because that's thinking of joy in that moment, not just fear or sadness. Yes, and see, this is that divine. So this is, this is very Lutheran, of course, but this is also a patristic pattern, like early church pattern that we see within the writings. So you have the logos, which the logos, which is the word, and that leads to pistis, which is faith, and then pistis leads to martyria, which is witness. And it's this progression. So the word gives understanding. So in, in that ascension text, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And that brings peace. And this pistis creating, you know, so the word creates faith. The faith, of course, then is to understand. It brings peace, right? It brings all things good, right? Peace, courage, hope. All of that, right? Everything good that comes with that, which then leads to witness, martyria. Now, what's interesting in the Greek is, so this word martyria is witness. It's also the word for martyr, right? Martyria. But then in Greek, there's what they call the, they call it privative. The privative, which is the alpha. If you put the alpha at the front of a word like this. So take martyria, and if you put the, the alpha privative at the front of the word, it becomes the opposite. And you know what that word is? Sin. It's the word for sin. So witness, the opposite is to sin. In Greek is that something and of course what does that mean that would be to um, lack courage to lack hope um, to lack understanding so the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will sustain our hearts and minds right through faith in Christ Jesus so the beauty of this is that what the Lord brings actually does help establish us and, and strengthen us for the journey ahead. Um, and so when you look at this, if you look just at the ascension here, and we're, so we're thinking about the seventh beatitude and what it means for Christ to continue to instill peace in us today, because, right, we still have all the things of the world going on, right? We still look around and we, we see sin in the world. We watch the news. We see what happens in people's lives, sometimes far away, sometimes close. Um, sometimes we're distressed because of uh, what's happening in our own lives. And um, it's easy to think, to feel like evil's winning, and then, of course, 
if we only focus on that, then we can lose courage, we can lose hope, and then we lose this, the, the peace that Christ gives. And the Christian often feels the angst of the world. And so when we think about Christ's peace, how do we continue to receive it? Well, here in the text, in the Ascension text, he opens their minds to comprehend the scriptures. Then he talks about his own passion. And then he says in verse 48, and you are witnesses of these things. So there it is, witnesses. And then he says in verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city until you are clothed from the power on high. Now, as I have pointed out before, the word power in Greek is dynamis, which is the word that the English word for dynamite. It's also the word that is often used in the epistles and in the book of Acts for the work of the Holy Spirit or the work of the gospel, the work of preaching. And notice what he's saying to these, to these people. You are my witnesses. You will be clothed with power from on high. Now think about a couple of Old Testament motifs along this line. So you have Moses. And Moses was the one that really led them through the wanderings, right? And he was always dealing with the troubles of the people. And, you know, they had the promised land out front, but Moses never made it in, did he? He could only see the promised land from afar. And then he dies. But Moses, he hands off his work to Joshua. And it is even said that Joshua receives, and I can't remember the exact language, but Joshua receives the spirit of Moses. So Joshua receives the spirit of Moses, then Joshua leads the people into the promised land where they experience peace. So that's one, one Old Testament motif. Now go to Elijah. Elijah himself was very much like Moses. He was like a Moses figure. And Elijah too wandered in the wilderness and, and as we remember, he was at one point feeling like he was the only one left to carry on, right? And he's, he's out there, he's running from Jezebel, running for his life, and he's so overcome, he just wants to die. 
and but he doesn't but then what happens he ascends into heaven but the, what happens before that he, what's that he gets to see god the rush of the wind and he hears the small still voice yeah that's right. There's all this stuff, right? There's the thunder and the lightning and the tempest and the wind, and right? But then the still, small voice speaks to him. Yeah. And, but then he gives his mantle to Elisha. And in all of that, in that exchange, is the desire to receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So Elisha receives the spirit... And what's so interesting about that is they go across the Jordan River for all this to happen, and then Elisha crosses back over. So there's some, he enters the promised land with the spirit of Elijah. And so, you know, you have a couple of things going on at the same time. You have Moses... who is to Joshua what Elijah is to Elisha. And then you have John the Baptist, who is a figure like Moses and Elijah. And then you have Jesus. So these three bring us into the promised land. While these three were the wilderness wanderers. But now at the ascension, Jesus brings the apostles into this motif. So that the apostles will receive power from on high, the Holy Spirit. So now in the divine service, when you have the pastors up there and the pastor says, the Lord be with you. And then you respond with, well, and with thy spirit. Okay, so there's, and also with you and with thy spirit. Now, I don't know if you know this about life in the vestry at St. John, but like if, when we do the prayers, the, the, the prayer before we go in, the Jesus prayer, the pastor always said, the pastor who's going to pray says, the Lord be with you. And the people always respond to the pastor and with thy spirit. But if like, let's say the vicar were to pray, now he hasn't been ordained yet. So let's say the vicar were to say the Jesus prayer and he says, the Lord be with you. Then everybody responds and also with you. It's different. Why? Because at ordination and the laying on of hands, this happens. So the apostolic task of the giving of the Holy Spirit is given. And so the pastor now carries this as he goes forward. And so when the people of God come into the divine service to gather around the altar those that make for peace 
are everything tied to the preaching of the gospel, the administering of the sac- administration of the sacraments. So we are the recipients, right? When we come into church and we receive, hear the gospel, we receive the Eucharist, the peacemaking is brought to us. And yes. To receive the peace. We receive it as a gift, but we do nothing with it. We're not actually making any peace. Right. Like in in Colossians, later on in chapter 2, it says, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing the faithfulness. And then when you were talking about Philippians, and it says, if you have any comfort from his love, um, any fellowship of the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one spirit and purpose. And it's about like continuing to stay in that spirit. Yes. It's interesting like, with the ascension you're talking about the disciples. Um, he passes this on to them. They receive this gift from him. And then they just stayed at the temple. So it sounds like you're just receiving it and staying in it, but it's a really active thing. It's like you can't just be in water. Exactly. Like you have to tread. It's work to constantly stay reconciled to God. So it's like making peace by continuing to stay reconciled and like-minded in the spirit. Yes. Yes, exactly. That was all very well said. I don't know if I can repeat that verbatim for everybody, but... Um, but that was really good. And it's true that, so the altar is where our rhythm and our life really finds its, right, its source. Jesus gives us his, his divine gifts in word and sacrament, and he is bestowing this, giving us these things, and then it's shared. So then when Christians in church share the peace together, there's that active element. And then it goes out. It goes out to the world. And I I think I've pointed this out too before that, you know, the word mass um, in Latin is missa, it comes from missa or mitta. And we talk, we talk about the dismissal at the end of the service. You get the benediction, and then you're sent out. So this sense of being sent out is to be sent out with the peace that you have received. And so it emanates, and it's meant to spread. And so it goes all over. So I saw you had your hand up. Yeah. In my old NIV, the word peacemakers, I redirect you to James chapter 3. Okay. And in 17, it says, but 17 and 18 says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Nice. So it's like, that's where it, we're sowing in peace if we sow in force. Yeah. We don't, we sow division, but 
sowing in the peace that's given to us through Christ. Yeah. Remaining in him is what, I mean, the disciples went out in joy and... We should look at that. Did you say that was James 3, 17? 3, 17, go, go to those James 3, 17 and 18. Well, that's okay. We'll take a look at it. And let me say this too. I don't know if any of you have read um, Dr. Kleinig's book, Wonderfully Made. Has anybody read that? That's a great book. Um, and it's um, Pastor Nelson's favorite topic, Theology of the Body. Um, and in the front, at the beginning of the... Um, at the beginning of the book, Kleinig makes this great point, and I think it's really important for us. He says, um, he says something to the effect of concerning this topic, the theology of the body and right marriage and you know all of that. I prefer to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Now, I think that is really insightful and really important. And I think this is, Christians have a hard time with this. I think um, Christians want to just sit and curse the darkness all the time. And, you know, there's a sense of righteousness that people feel in that. Like, I'm cursing the darkness. I'm saying this is bad. I'm, you know, I'm pointing this out. It, but I think what Kleinig is, is saying not to put words in his mouth, but what I think he's saying is the devil creates all this ugliness and evil. And if we just simply focus and gaze upon all the ugliness of the evil, it can destroy us. It's ironically exactly what the devil wants to do. And he tricks us because we think we're just, we're doing the right thing by cursing the darkness, but light a candle instead. Light the light of Christ and focus upon the things of Christ, the goodness of Christ, and the goodness of Christ, the light of Christ exposes the darkness for what it is, but we're focused on the light. We're focused on what builds up and makes for peace. I think it's a phenomenal statement that he makes. Yeah. Um, and just focusing on that when God created everything, he made it good. And our mm -hmm. tendency is to shun the corrupted part of what was good. Mm -hmm. you know, like sexuality is obviously a huge topic. Yep. You know, sex is bad. It's actually not. It was good. It was ordained by God. Yep. We need to look at it with that, that light. You know? Yeah. And re-transform the way that we think about the good and evil in the world. Yes. That, that, you know, peace back into what was beautiful. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's good. Yeah. Yes. Um, Yeah, 
Yeah, can you say that again? The verse? Bring the good news of peace. Yeah, does anybody remember where that is? I don't remember where. I know what you're talking about, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> one of the messianic. Yes, beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, right? Yeah. And that is exactly right. So let, let's go to that James 3 passage and take a look. You said James 3, 17 and 18? Oh yeah, Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful, yeah, upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's beautiful. Your God reigns. Isaiah 52, 7. Yeah. Your God reigns. That is a different, right? That is different than just always cursing the darkness and feeling like evil's winning and we're trying to ward off the evil. Instead, it's light, light, light a candle. Let the light of Christ shine instead. Because he's defeated it all. He has defeated all of this. We have the victory. That's the beautiful thing. So James 3... Verse 17 and then verse 18. And I'm going to open up the the Greek text to see what it says. Okay. So let's read this again. Mm. All right. Back up to verse 13. Let's take a look here. Because it's heavenly versus demonic wisdom. So James 3, 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, Confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know what? I have never noticed this before. But it almost seems to me that those verses are a summary of the Beatitudes. What do you think? It's pure. It says meek. It's the whole bit. Even down to the, the two Beatitudes we haven't gotten to yet. <laughs> I know it. Because what... What can often happen to Christians in the midst of persecution is that we, uh, we are often, f- Christians can be filled with angst 
and then um, create their own division from others in the midst of persecution, right? Righteous persecution, right? Our, you know, we talk about righteous persecution and we, you know, we, we can feel self-righteous in the midst of being persecuted. And um, humanly speaking, we can try to protect ourselves by creating a dividing wall. But Jesus didn't do that when he was persecuted. He always left himself open to others. And so, you know, he's talk, James is talking here about um, without partiality, without hypocrisy, we allow the persecution to be what it is, and we know that it too brings good, if that makes any sense. That's beautiful. And so in the Greek text in verse 17, when it says gentle, gentle, that word in gentle, that word in Greek for gentle literally means to give a person a different answer than what they deserve. That's literally what it means. So a person might deserve a harsh word or maybe they deserve a little bit of judgment, but you give them something different. You give them a word of mercy, a word of absolution. I mean, it's everything about the church, right? It's, it's our life of confession and absolution where we come into church and we are not deserving, and yet Jesus gives us a different answer than what we deserve, right? You come in with your sins, we deserve harsh judgment, harsh words, but that's not what we get. We get, you're forgiven. Go in peace. So let's go back and finish up. We've only got a couple of minutes, so let's go back to Matthew's Gospel and finish up with these two Beatitudes. I, well, I went through it quickly, but I, I didn't have it in the notes. No. Yeah, but we did go through it last Friday. Okay. Yeah, but I, I can get you some notes from that. I don't know what happened with that. I don't know if we forgot to copy a page or what. Um, but at any rate, verse 11 and 12... Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So looking there, that too goes along with some of what I've said already, that don't curse the darkness, but light a candle. So part of witnessing or martyring, and this is what's so remarkable about the, through the church's history, the lives of the martyrs and the way that they were in the midst of being martyred. That's only by the Holy Spirit, right? The power that comes down from on high. That, you know, the Christians from, from days past, how they were able to 
withstand and be joyful in the midst of, of their martyrdom. We read those, some of those accounts of, of the martyrdoms and we think, oh my gosh, that's, I don't know how they did that. And yet, it's what you see here in these Beatitudes that they could be at peace in the midst of it. And you see it with um, St. Stephen, right? The first martyr. So in a sense, you know, what you see here in these last couple Beatitudes, it's first seen in Jesus as he hangs from the cross and people are, you know, yelling at him and telling him, you know, if you're the son of God, come down. But then it's also, you know, do not count their sins against them, right? There it is. And then you see the patterns of Christ in St. Stephen. He looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus, the son of God, sitting at the right hand of the father. And then he prays and he says, Lord, do not count these sins against them. So it's really the be these beatitudes that you see in Jesus and Stephen. And then you see it in the martyrs. And then the, this ninth beatitude, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heavens for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This one is different from the previous beatitudes. They is now replaced with you and me. Notice, revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So they is replaced with you and me. And this will come up again with the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. On account of me, and it is rich in Christological content because it connects the Beatitudes to the person of Jesus. So this Beatitude leads us to see that the disciple is the target of the devil just like Jesus is. And we can look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 4, or 2 to 4. And I guess we can start at verse 1 to get the context. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. So there it is again. 
Don't let yourself grow weary. Don't become discouraged in your souls. It's a perspective, isn't it? Don't look at the darkness. I, what Kleinig says is so good. Don't gaze upon the darkness. But it's so hard. It, it, it seems like it's like, of course you want to like, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. There's no reason to look away, you think, because of, once you have all this understanding, of course you want to, but it's so hard. Like, it's just like when you're praying, and all of a sudden you're mind water. You know, it's just like, it's amazing how just to keep your eyes on one thing and to look at the light. Why would you even want to look at the darkness? But yeah. it's so yeah. easy straight into it. Yes. Yes, it's it's so true, and so it we do want to do we there is that tendency we want to look into the darkness, and and we'll justify it by saying we're being wise because we're watching so we know what it looks like, and we're going to avoid it, and yet we keep looking at it, you know, so we don't really avoid it. We're and instead look to the face of Jesus. Gaze upon the face of Jesus and look to the good. Like you said, look to the good. Stay focused on the good. And the good, by its very nature, by seeing what is good, we then learn what's not good, right? So we know what good, what, what evil looks like and how it's not good, so we just stay focused on the good. But then our hearts and our souls and our minds are being filled with the good things. Focus upon Jesus, his holy things. And so, you know, the rhythm of one's life around the altar does just that. And every time we hear the gospel, every time we go to the Eucharist, the Eucharist is raised up. We eat and drink it. We hear the words of benediction. We say our prayers. We're praying for good, right? I mean, think about the, the prayer of the church. The prayer of the church is always focused on the good, or mo right? I mean, I would say it's focused on the good, how people can be helped, how the Lord can intervene, bring good out of evil. And Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So we keep gazing upon him, we keep being filled with the good, and we're equipped. Our minds, our souls, our hearts are made wise through the good. And then we are able, because we, we dwell in the good and the holy things of Jesus, then when, when persecution does come, it doesn't destroy us because we know heaven and what it looks like and what's coming and also you know we've, we've talked about this before and I see we got a break but when St. Paul talks about um, in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 through 7 he talks about the sufferings of Christ abound in us so our consolation also abounds through Christ if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. That too is a perspective. We recognize that if, if we are persecuted, if we are suffering, it's for the good of others. So peacemakers, 
bringing good into the lives of others. So at any rate, we do need to break, um, but the Beatitudes, we can see just the beauty in those and how they order life through Christ and then through Christ, it orders our lives too. So, all right, let's close with uh, the collect for the Feast of the Ascension and the benediction. Let us pray. Grant, we pray, almighty God, that even as we believe your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into heaven, so we may also in heart and mind ascend and continually dwell there with him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen. All right, blessings.